I sense that some of you, us, needed that hymn this morning. I want to ask you a very honest question this morning, right now. Um, How many of you really struggled with some kind of spiritual battle, distraction, or in your soul this morning, either coming to church or on the way to church or even in the past 15, 20, 30 minutes? How many of you have struggled with a spiritual battle this morning? Yeah. Yeah, I have, and it's uh, something of which a hymn like that is helpful to know that when we're struggling spiritually, when we lift up our hearts in song and praise God, that He is working to destroy the enemy. Sometimes when we feel the least like it is the time that we are to most be praising God for His goodness and His glory and His ultimate victory. I'm turning, and if you would like to turn with me to the book of Ephesians, going to look at and even segue into for next week the very reason that we experience those spiritual battles. And it is part of that which we will come all the way up to today, and then we will enter into that last portion that is very familiar to you about the spiritual warfare that we are in every day, and even now, by minute by minute. I'm going to begin at Ephesians 5, chapter 518, go all the way through 6, 9, because this is a section now that we will cover, and if you will now give your attention to the reading of God's Word. And do not be drunk with wine, which is in excess, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for all things to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another in the fear of God. Wives, submit your Submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as also Christ is the head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. Therefore, just as the church is subject to Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her, that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of the water by the word, that he might present her to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. So husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it just as the Lord does the church. We are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Nevertheless, let each of you in particular so love his own wife as himself, and let his wife see that she respects her husband." Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with promise, that it may be well with you, and you live long on the earth. And you fathers, do not provoke your children to wrath, but bring them up in the training and admonition of the Lord. Bondservants, be obedient to those who are your masters according to the flesh, with fear and trembling, in sincerity of heart, as to Christ, not with eye service as men-pleasers, but as bondservants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, with good will, doing service as to the Lord and not to men, knowing that whatever good anyone does, he will receive the same from the Lord, whether he is slave or free. And you masters do the same things to them, giving up threatening, knowing that your own master also is in heaven, and there is no partiality with him. Let us pray and now seek to have God calm our spirit and to fill us with his 
spirit and to, to drive out these distractions and to take command of this spiritual uh, time that we gather in his presence now? Let's pray. Father, as we, many, the majority of the people here have acknowledged of a spiritual battle going on in their lives even today, this morning. And here we are, not even noontime yet. On the Lord's Day, in your presence, we confess that uh, the distractions are many and few in this life, and yet you are the Lord over them all. As we turn our attention now to your word, we pray that the Spirit would now still our spirit, that we might know that you are God. Focus our attention and remove the distractions, not only of our minds, but in our spirit. Lord, we ask for you to do this which only you can do. To give us a peace that passeth all understanding and to keep our hearts and our minds sound in Christ Jesus. The enemy is raging against your people and within our own camp, and we pray that you would bring peace to each one of us, a unity in the Spirit, and that you would bless the preaching of your word now in the power and in the Spirit. Lord, we feel our weakness today, and we ask that the Spirit of God would guide now in his powerful word to do that which only he can do, a supernatural power that is working in us, the same work that worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead has now been given to us. As you raised us out of the dead, seated us together with Christ in the heavenlies, we pray that you would triumph with your gospel in our lives in the power of the Spirit of God. We pray heaven down upon us this day. We pray us up into heaven this day that the Spirit would work in us and through us to do of your good will and pleasure that we might sense the power of God and the victory of God driving out all of our enemies, for we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against the principalities and the powers and the dark forces that seek to destroy the unity of the body, that seek to destroy our peculiar contrast with the world and seek to destroy our responsiveness to each other, as we will look at this morning. Lord, we ask that you would bless us now. May we sense that you, we are in the presence of a holy God. With that glory light shining all around your throne, emanating from the very presence of the great I Am, Yahweh God, creator of heaven and earth, the only true God. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, with whom we have personal relationship because of your grace because of your great mercy all to the praise of the glory of your grace and we pray now that the spirit would rest powerfully upon the speaker that the preaching of the word may go forth with power and with spirit and to the changing of our souls and the transforming of our minds and the renewing of our spirits to bring forth the fruit pleasing to your holy name. Glorify yourself in our midst even now. Hallow your name. Grow your kingdom. And may your will be done here as it is done in heaven. For thine is the kingdom and the power and all of the glory. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. You may be seated. We cannot live a life that glorifies God apart from the power of the Spirit. As we are very reminded of this morning in acute ways, even personally, of which no one knows except perhaps you and God. The life we are called to live requires a supernatural work of the activity of the Holy Spirit going on constantly in our lives. And so we fail miserably when we do not walk in the Spirit, when we are not strengthened in the grace of our God. God has given us the Spirit to be successful. He delights in our success. 
but it is up to us to be filled with the Holy Spirit. If we are to live consistently for the glory of God, which is what we've been looking at for the past several weeks as we look at what our purpose is and who we are as a church and why we are to live and how we are to live, if we are to be enhancers of the glory of God, then we must walk in the Spirit and be filled with the Spirit. So many Christians live defeated lives because they do not habitually, as a part of their diet of living, feed themselves upon Christ and walk in the Spirit. And this morning, this is what I want to preach on from this text. I want to preach on you what it looks like to be filled with the Spirit of the living God for His glory. This that I just read is the third major division of the application section that began in chapter 4, verse 1. And let's keep the current passage in its context of this letter. Paul has instructed us that the church is a living organism that is designed as a love gift from Father, God the Father to God the Son. We are, called in the Scripture, God's inheritance. And we join in with the inheritance of the saints in light as we have the forgiveness of sins and the redemption that we have in Christ. We are Christ's inheritance. The Father chose a bride for His Son and our purpose is to glorify God perpetually as we began to discover the multifaceted wisdom and magnificence of God. It leaves us with a sense of awe, and that awe then in turn springs forth from a heart of praise. We also are instruments of angelic marvel. where the angels and the host of all of the heavens We'll look and observe the church and how we live this life, knowing that what we do and how we live is of the supernatural work of God. And as they see how we live so contrary to the world, that they marvel. They marvel at God and His tremendous grace. Sometimes I think they realize how tremendous His grace is toward us more than we realize, realize it ourselves. His grace ought to be something we marvel at. So the way we live out who we are is vitally important to who we are and what we are about here. Chapter 4 through 6 is revealing to us applications then of living out our identity in Christ by walking worthy of our calling as Christians. And as these applications in this particular epistle are mostly in a corporate nature, they have specific individual application, of course. But we're seeing the the application of how we live as a one body in Christ. And so, to live this out, we have three chapters broken up into four sections, and the first application in verses 4, 1 through 16 is to walk in that undisturbed spiritual unity as one body, under one Lord, with one faith, and one baptism, and one God and Father of us all. This undisturbed unity is further enhanced with the diversity that is in the body, with the spiritual gifts that God has given this body, and we grow up into those gifts with one another in love. That's chapter 1, verses 1 through 16. That's the first and the foremost application of then how to live to angelic marvel and to the glory of God in Christ Jesus. The second application, which we covered last Lord's Day, went from chapter 4, verse 17, all the way into chapter 5, verse 17. 
And that's the context in how we live out who we are as Christians, as the church, in the context of this fallen world. And we are to live in a contrast to this world. And we looked at all those applications, but every one of them is a contrast. Light into darkness. And so we are a city set upon the hill. We are to be the salt of the earth. And now we turn our attention to this third chapter, this third section, beginning at verse 518. It's a walk then that is a wise walk, but a walk that is controlled by the Spirit of God. This section begins in verse 518, and be not drunk with wine wherein in excess... But, that's the adversative, be filled with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit should never be thought of as a force, but a person. The third person of the Godhead has been given to you, proceeds from the Father, the Son sent him, and here we have a Spirit, the Holy Spirit, which is a personal person of the Godhead. We can pray to the Holy Spirit. We can worship to the Holy Spirit, just as we do the Son and the Father. He's not an impersonal abstract force. He is a person, and you have a personal relationship with Him as you do Christ and the Father. The Spirit has been given to us, and among other things... He's our personal and dwelling tutor that teaches us of the very things here that glorifies the Father and the Son. As Jesus said, I'll send him to you. He'll teach you of these things. He will not glorify himself. He will glorify the Father and me. He is also for the Christian the internal animating spirit in us that brings forth life. And the fruit of what true human life looks like when it's restored in the image of God. We are learning what it means to be human in a different way. That's what the gospel does. It restores the image of God. And we're so familiar with being fallen in Adam that we wake up in our, 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 and we go about our day in Adam and we think that this is how the world ought to be. This is how it was created. And far from it, because it is so much a part of who we were in our old man that we assume that this is the way it ought to be. And so then when God regenerates us and he saves us and changes this whole dynamic upside down from a self-centered to a God-centered way of living, it's a whole different way of thinking and a whole different way of living a human life, the way it was intended to be lived. Consider the way we were created in Genesis 2-7 when it says, And God took the dirt of the ground and he formed the man, and then he breathed into him, into his nostrils, the breath of life, and man became a living being. Man is made of the composite of the dirt, the earth, and the breath of the holy God, the spirit of God. So while we live down here, we commune with God in heaven, and that's how it was intended to be. And then when man disobeyed and he rebelled against his own creator, the Spirit of God was taken from man. Immediately death set in, and then eventually physical death. But in that Spirit and the breath of God, it gives us the animating principles that then has our faculties such that they are directed toward this God-centered cosmology. Our faculties and our fellowship with God accompany the very principles in how we were designed and created. All of this is now what is being restored by the Spirit of God 
into the image of Jesus Christ, the last Adam, the very perfect Adam, that came to be the new head of a new kind of race. That is us. And as we are being restored in the image of God, the Spirit is what is working in us and through us to bring forth the goodwill of God, the fruit that pleases God, and a new way of being human. That's why when we look at the Beatitudes, we're looking at characteristics of what it means to be a kingdom citizen created in Christ Jesus. We're not looking at the way how to become into the kingdom. We're looking at the character of those who are. When we're looking at the fruit of the Spirit, we're looking at what the Spirit brings forth in true Christians. And we're looking here at showing us how this church is to live out this new humanity in light so that God is praised and God is glorified and angels will look and marvel because they've never seen anything like this in all of human history up until the time that Christ was resurrected and sent the Spirit. That's why this is the mystery which has been before hidden, now revealed. Spiritual fruit is not an option for the Christian life. It is really the product of it. It is a fruit of the Holy Spirit. And a regenerate person will become a different person characterized by godliness. That is just an indicative statement. It's true. And the Christian life becomes just a different altogether. That's why we're told, do not be conformed to this world, but be renewed by being transformed in our minds and renewed in our hearts so that with our hearts we may understand. That's what Paul, remember back in his apostolic prayer in chapter 1, so that your hearts may gain this understanding. Now the Christian life is a life of walking in the Spirit. Implied here in the contrast that he gives us by way of analogy and illustration is a controlling aspect of the Holy Spirit. The controlling influence of the Holy Spirit in our lives, animating us. This is contrary to the flesh. That's why if we walk in the Spirit, we do not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Now this is an interesting command that we need to just take a few minutes and consider here this morning. Look at the contrasting analogy in verse 18 that Paul uses here with drunkenness. And that gives us an understanding of what it means to walk in a state that is being filled with the Holy Spirit. And be not drunk with wine, whereas in an excess, but be filled with the Spirit. Now the point of contrast, and by way of making this point, he's going to make a contrast here of being controlled by something by being filled with something. If you fill yourself up with alcohol to excess, you will become drunken. And not only do we know that picture, because perhaps we've seen that, but it was very common for this to be true in Paul. That's why this illustration has such a powerful contrast. When you give yourself to excess of alcohol and you, you sin in this way, which is grievous to God, the alcohol takes over your faculties, physically, mentally, emotionally, and volitionally. A man who is drunk is under the influence or even the control of the alcohol, even in his walk. He'll stammer. There's no stability. The contrast to this is to be filled with the Holy Spirit. To the extent that you are no longer being controlled by the flesh. But you've come so much under the filling of the Spirit in excess, if I can even borrow that phrase from the pivotal point in that contrast that you become so under the influence of the Spirit that He directs your faculties. 
And the way you now walk is no longer stammering or in the flesh, but it is a straight walk. It's a stable walk. If you walk in the Spirit, you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. There's an application in that very simple principle here. If you have sin issues, if you have lust addictions, if you have idolatry of desire, or covetousness, that you're having a difficult time seeing a victory over, all these things are remedied with a consistent walk in the Spirit and being filled with the Spirit. Now the second thing about this particular command in verse 18 is there's a peculiar grammar here that I think we should take time and unpack just a bit. He commands us not to be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. And that command is given to us, and pardon the the, the technical aspects, but I think if we walk through it, I think it'll help. It's a present passive imperative. Now, what's so unusual about a present passive imperative? It's an imperative, first of all, that's just a command. It is commanding my mind and my volition, my heart, to choose to do something. It expects me to act. Do this. In other words, he puts before us a choice to make. And as a Christian, it is in your power to make the right choice now. God's not going to make that choice for you, as I've heard in a great abuse of God's sovereignty in the lives of his people. We don't live a fatalistic life. God doesn't make the choice for us. He empowers us with the Spirit of God. He's renewed us, but he puts the choice before us, and when we make the right choice, he empowers us to follow through on that which we ourselves cannot do. That's a huge difference than just saying, well, I'm waiting on God to move me. I've had to bring many corrections to people along my pastoral journey when they are walking in disobedience, and I confront them and say, well, I'm just waiting on God to give me repentance. That, that, that is the wrong way. To think about this. God's put before you a responsibility. God's empowered you. God's given you the spirit. God has created you and and restored the image of God in you. You have your faculties now being restored in Christ Jesus. But he's given you an opportunity to glorify his name. He's got a choice before you. That he has put there and it is up to you if you're going to be filled with the Spirit of God. It is your in your camp. And that's why the command here is addressing the mind and the volition of you and me to be filled with the Spirit of God. And the compelling reason in the moment and the motive for why you and I would be, want to be filled is because your love for God and desire to glorify Him. It's a, it's a command. Now here, the the command is given to us in a present tense command. That's the second part of this grammatical nuance. It's a command to do something constantly. Be doing this. If it were an aorist imperative, it would simply be a one-time event, or it would be a state of being that is commanded here. But that is not it. It is... Be constantly filled with the Spirit of God. This is an ongoing thing. Keep on being filled. And therefore, being filled with the Spirit is not a one-time occasion. We're going to look at a little bit more of that this afternoon. It addresses a constant reoccurring in something you do in this. This implies that we can live in such a way that we are not filled with the Spirit of God. And when you are not walking in the Spirit, filled with His Spirit, you will fulfill the lust of the flesh. You will detract from the glory of God. You will not live for the glory of God. And that's why it's so important for us to understand here. 
The third aspect, and this is where it gets a little difficult, is this is in the passive voice. It's a command in the present tense with a passive voice. Now, pardon all of the grammar here this morning. It's good for us to learn grammar. The action of a passive voice verb is acting upon the subject rather than subject acting upon it or doing the acting. It's unusual for a command. In an active voice verb, which this is not, the subject does the action. I throw the ball. That I am the subject and I am throwing. That's active. But a passive voice, the subject receives the action performed. The ball was thrown to me. Someone else does the action and I become the recipient of the action. And so when the ball was thrown to me, the recipient, myself, the subject of this, and here's the command. This command is commanding me to be filled by the Spirit. And that's in an, a passive voice. How can I be commanded of something where the action is done by somebody else upon me? And that's why it's a peculiar grammatical point. He gives you and me a command, but the Spirit is the one who does the filling. So what's the point in commanding, you might say? Why is it not just made in an indicative, a statement? The Spirit does fill you. Because it involves our participation in such a way that we are actively involved in fulfilling a responsibility in obeying this voice from God to do this. God is glorified when we participate in the action that is being commanded here and even in the action acting upon us. The command here in this grammatical fashion is what you are giving yourself to filling up on so that the controlling influences then come upon us. To get drunk, you engage in a particular activity. You drink too much alcohol. And by doing so, you allow the alcohol to produce, you allow the alcohol to produce its, its effect upon you. To be filled with the Holy Spirit, you're commanded to yield to His controlling influences by allowing Him to fill you. And it's important to realize that you can live in such a way that squelches and quenches the Spirit of God, that grieves the Spirit of, of God, by grieves His person, so that you and your faculties are not brought under His influences. And there is a way that you can live so that you are. That's what He's commending. If you're going to live for the glory of God, you're going to have to live being filled with the Spirit of God. Well, what does it look like when one is filled with the Spirit of God, when he's walking in the Spirit and he's using the means of grace, he's feasting upon Christ, he's deeping, drinkly, uh, drinking deeply <laughs> the things of God, uh, discovering in his word and looking at the beauty of creation. And what does that look like? in the heart and life of a Christian. If you're not truly a Christian, it's not going to look like this in you. People can fake it for a season, but you'll know the tree by the fruit. What does that look like? The next three verses demonstrate what the filling of the Spirit looks like. In the next three verses, they all begin with an ing Verb. It's really a participle, and a participle is subject to or in subordination to a main verb. And that's why they're all tied in to what it looks like to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And you have these three words, verse 19, speaking, verse 20, giving, and verse 21, submitting. Speaking, giving, submitting. These are all common to each other, and in fact, in the Spirit, they are inseparable to each other but yet there is a logical order to them. 
All three are describing the results of what it looks like to be controlled and under the influence of the Spirit as you are filled with the Spirit of God. Speaking, giving, and submitting. And when you work down through all three of those, they look more like concentric circles. A small circle with one that's enlarged it, and then another one that's enlarged further than that. Let's look at the very first small concentric circle, and I believe that is given to us in verse 19, when the Scripture says, They're speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. Spiritual people speak to themselves in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, but there is in this inner circle, this inward spirit of one who is controlled by the Spirit of God. There's an inward spirit to the manner. There's something here that is particularly inward, inside of us. The making melody in your heart to the Lord is the key. And within the context, the emphasis here is on the inner man. What's going on with the Spirit of God in the inner man to the one who is filled by Him. When the Spirit of God truly has control and influencing, there is a distinctive interior to that person. Consider this interior Man who is filled and controlled with the Holy Spirit. And the thing that, is, that he wants to draw our attention to is there's music there. There is music in the heart. This is what I call soul music. Music deep down in the spirit of man where he makes melody and music to God. And this is something that God himself has put in his people. Psalm 43 says, He has put a new song in my mouth. Praise to our God. Many will see it in fear and will trust in the Lord. We are called to sing that new song of our heart. Now the heart and the mouth are related because out of the heart are the issues of life. And as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. And out of the heart, the mouth speaks. So the two are related one to another. And when God saves a man, he puts a new song in his heart, and from that heart, he then springs forth the praise out of his mouth. Being filled with the Spirit will cause our soul downward, inwardly, to sing God's praise. It's a spirit thing. The next larger circle, circle number two, that extends now beyond, out into the circumference of my life, is that which is given to us in in verse 20, and that is giving thanks. Giving thanks. As my song here in my heart makes melody to the Lord, then outward it comes to this expression of giving thanks. This is the outward expression of this soul music that God has put in us. Giving thanks always for all things to God the Father in the name of the Lord Jesus. As we move from the inner circle into the outer circumference of my life, it is out there on the circumference of my life. You will know a spirit-filled person because that person is a grateful person. He is giving thanks person. That's what a spirit-filled person looks like. He can find something in everything to give thanks to God for. He has a perspective about his new cosmology that is centered upon God in Christ Jesus, filled with the Spirit of God. He's not a complaining person. He's characteristically a grateful person. Because his life has been changed. Circle number three then extends even larger still, and it extends to encapsulate my relationships with people. Has he not been saying something about relationships from the very get-go of application? Verse 21 is that third ING word, submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. 
Uh, we, we need to pause here for just a moment because we often have different thoughts about submission. But here, as well as I believe Peter emphasizes, submission is a word that sometimes has a very narrow usage to it in a way that a subordinate will respond to a superior. But there's also a very broader term that has to do more with our responsiveness to each other, even if we are not subordinated to each other. The opposite of this of this spirit that the Spirit of God is, is trying to get us to understand, being submissive one to another, the opposite of that would be a competitive spirit. A competitive spirit is not responsive to one another in the way that is indicative of being filled with the Spirit. Peter says the same thing, I believe, in 1 Peter chapter 5. Yea, all of you be subject to one another. It's a very broad way of thinking about our responsiveness to one another in life. Verse 21 is probably then using this in this broader way. And then he uses six now occasions after that where he's going to narrow it down into a more specific, narrower way. But he's talking generally here to the extent that there is a responsiveness that even a father can submit himself to his son, a subordinate to his inferior and his, uh, or superior, and the superior, we can all be re responsive to each other in the spirit that he's speaking of here. And then he's going to narrow it down. In verse 22, wives are to do this, with their husbands in this narrower way as unto the Lord. The application for the wife is a narrower definition than this broader one. But if she does it in the right sense, in the right spirit, she will not be competitive with her husband. See, And if the husband is loving the wife as he should, he's not going to be competitive with his wife. As that second application then comes in, it says, husbands, love your wives. And, and husbands, when you truly love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it, there will seem to be times where it seems like you are following her influence. You don't misunderstand that, that but that is the nature of selfless love. When Christ gave himself for the church, he truly subordinated himself unto death, even the death of the cross, for the object of his love. Now, husbands, you are the head, but love your wife like that. And she will love you for it. There are times when you put yourself and your interest under. That's the idea of submission, to be under. Put yourself and your interest under for the sake of your wife. The application gets extended to a third one, and that's to children. And the application gets very, very narrow here when it comes to obedience. Notably here is that children can be filled with the Holy Spirit. He is talking to the church at Ephesus. And as Paul is addressing the church of Ephesus, he turns and says, Now children, there's an obvious implication the children were not taken out for children's church, but they were involved right there so he can address them very specifically in the context of the corporate church and also assuming that they too can be filled with the Spirit of God and live the way that God has ordained them to live. But they're going to need the Spirit as well. Fathers, there's the next application. They are careful with their children, that they respond to them in this way, and which is indicative of the filling of the Spirit, so that they do not provoke their children to wrath. And there's a general attitude of responsiveness to them that is characteristic of a Spirit-filled man in the way he deals with his children. Verse 
5 then goes on to speak to servants and how they are to serve their masters with this responsiveness, which is a different way than a worldly man serves a worldly employer. He should do it as unto the Lord. And then masters are to be careful in how they oversee their servants. There is a spirit of responsiveness that comes out when they're filled with the Spirit. So, so it's a general and broad term that's used generally in Back in verse 20, that's narrowed down as it goes down in these six different applications, no matter what station of life you're in. And all those specific applications of this one general principle of responsiveness to one another is the outward circle of what it looks like when a man is filled with the Spirit and walking under his influence. This passage is saying that those relationships have everything to do with the degree of the glory of God that is brought to him by you. Put your marriage in that context. Put your work relationship with your employer or your employee in that context. These things have everything to do with the degree to which you bring glory to God. The manner and the spirit and the way you respond to other people is that outward circle. And all that either enhances the credit, the honor, the grandeur, the reputation of God the Father, or it will detract from it. And your responsiveness to other people begins back with the music of your soul. And then it enlarges to give thanks to God. It further enlarges to your responsiveness to God's people all around and to others in your neighbor as yourself. And when you live as a Christian... You are to live it out with a different purpose than when you're living for your personal pleasures and your personal desires. And that's why walking in the Spirit is in contrast to walking in the flesh. Live it to the glory of God. That is your primary purpose. That is what you and I are expected to do. And you've got a choice to make. If this is what we are expected to do, if we are going to go through life like this, being unified among diversity, being in contrast to the world, being responsive to each other in this Spirit-filled way, if you're going to go through life like this without a competitive spirit one toward another, but being equitable and gentle and loving, responsive to each other, you're going to stick out in society. You're going to look something different to the angels who look and behold the manifold wisdom of God and marvel. That's what brings glory to God. This is living like Christ lived. This is what glorifies God here on this earth. And when you live like that, you're going to stick out with that kind of character. And you will be opposed. Everything about you will be opposed when you live that way. And that will bring us to the message next Lord's Day on the spiritual warfare that you will stand against and you stand in constantly when you're living for the glory of God. And when you do, you have to use the weapons God's provided. You have to battle the way he has said, because the enemy is going to be against your unity. The enemy is going to be against your contrast. The enemy is going to be against your responsiveness one to another. And every one of these things that we said that brings glory to God is what the enemy wants to destroy, distract, disturb, because he likes the glory for himself. So to glorify God, you have to live by, like Christ and be filled with the Spirit of God. But when you do, you will be challenged. And that is the reason we came here, so many of us today, and we were challenged. We were challenged. But God has given us the Spirit, 
not of fear, but of love and of power and of a sound mind. And we stir up that spirit within us and we praise his name from the the music in our heart and we give him thanks and we respond one to another and we draw near unto God and he draws near unto us and we resist the devil and he flees from us and we have to battle this in God's way with his character and let him take care of our enemy the way he will do it. And he will do it. Praise be to God. That's what he has saved us to do, to glorify his name. Our gracious Father, we pray that you would rise up victorious and defeat our enemies. We pray that you would silence the scorner. We pray that those who seek to destroy the unity here, and we know that these are not flesh and blood, but principalities and powers that were working these fallen angels that seek to destroy the unity. We pray that you would drive them far from here, that we can seek this peace, because when your people are at peace, there is great blessing in that. When we dwell together in unity, there is great angelic marvel in that. We pray, Lord, you give us strength to be in contrast to the ways of the world, because you have made us to be light in Christ So we pray that our light would so shine and drive out the darkness and it would expose the the works of the darkness. That we would live a holy life unto God in love. Lord, we pray we would walk in the Spirit consistently in our lives, that we would use the means of grace of the Word and prayer and the sacraments and corporate worship, and we would give ourselves to it, that the song in our heart, that new song that you put there, would would break forth into praise, and that you would give us a spirit of gratitude, not one of entitlement. Show us where we are showing ourselves proud and feeling entitled, and forgive us of that heinous sin, for you owe us nothing but condemnation. And yet you have been merciful to us, not giving us what we deserve, but you have given us grace that has abounded over all of our sins, and you have washed us in the blood of Jesus. You have exalted us to seat in the heavenlies with Christ. You have empowered us with the Spirit of God, and we live in victory to the glory of your holy name, which is our greatest satisfaction. And we pray the Spirit of God would work these things in us and through us to do of your good will and your good pleasure as we respond in a godly way one to another here as Christ would respond through us. It is in his strong and mighty name that we pray. Amen.